Well, hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me again this week is Andrew O'Hara because he has some special iPad accessories with him in hand. What's up, Andrew? Not too much, just you know, typing away over here. Yeah, not too much. You actually have a ton going on because you're, you're comparing every keyboard uh, that can connect to that iPad, I believe. Pretty much, or at least the iPad Pros, or the iPad good Pro, ones yeah. at least. We're not going to delve into the wishy-washy world of no, uh, no. random ones, but the real ones. So you have the 12.9-inch iPad Pro Magic Keyboard case in hand. Yes. And that would you, you get it on Wednesday? Yeah, we got it. We got the Magic Keyboard on Wednesday. So I imagine you've been typing many words on this keyboard. A lot of words. Yes. And so I would love to hear just your initial thoughts on it and your experience, and then maybe we can get into some of those comparisons. Okay. Well, I'm sure a lot of people have already heard a lot. I mean, a lot has already been said. A lot has already been typed. A lot has already been in video yes. form on this keyboard. It's crazy how big of a deal this keyboard seems to be for such an expensive accessory. Right. A lot of people have been knocking it for that price, but people can't get enough of it. And for good reason. This thing has been amazing to type on. It, mm. it is a really good keyboard. It feels like you're typing on you know, a Mac keyboard. And the trackpad on this is as responsive as you'd ever get. Even the Logitech one for the older iPads, like the 10.5 iPad Pro right. um, and iPad Airs and like the 7th Gen iPad, that one is really good. But even that is not as responsive as Apple's is here on the Magic Keyboard. Hmm. So the, the trackpad is great. The keyboard is great. I don't have a lot to complain about with this thing other than perhaps the price tag. So is it like typing on the Magic Keyboard that would come with like an iMac? Does it feel pretty similar? It feels very similar. So the biggest comparison I would say is against the 16-inch MacBook Pro. That was the first one to get this new scissor switch mechanism, right. bringing back the inverted T design for the arrow keys and a few other things like that. And it feels very similar to that. It's not quite the same. It's a little bit quieter, mm. it seems to be, which honestly I like. I don't like my iPad being all that loud right. uh, compared to like a big old mechanical keyboard for your Mac. But it's a little bit quieter. Uh, there's a little bit more of lateral key movement, you know, not a ton. It's still very good. But when we're kind of nitpicking and comparing the two, it just they wiggle a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more than they do on the laptop. Okay. Now, there were things that I've heard from a lot of the reviews and videos that went up on YouTube. But one, the keyboard has backlit keys. But is it true that you cannot adjust that brightness? The only place you can do it is in the settings app. There's no way to adjust that brightness kind of on the fly. Yeah, correct. You're going to have to jump into it's like settings and then keyboard, then hardware keyboard. So you're three levels deep there to adjust that, which is kind of annoying. I feel most people won't do it. Uh, it does adjust automatically. It uses the ambient light sensor in there to adjust how it needs to. And even when you're watching a movie, it'll go ahead and turn that off for you. Mm. But there are cases where you would want to manually control it, such as if you're using like a, a random video player like embedded on a website and you're watching you know, 10-minute video or something, that doesn't register with the iPad as you know, necessarily a video being watched and full screen and everything, so it won't dim the keyboard for you. So in that case, you have to jump in, which is annoying, especially to leave your video content, going to the settings, and then come back. They really just need to build something into Control Center. I'm not going to miss the function keys as much. If they built it in Control Center, then I would just be fine. Now, this Magic Keyboard case for the iPad Pro, it has the USB-C connector on the case, so you can charge it, mm -hmm. and it charges through then the smart connector on the iPad. Yes. And from the reviews that I've seen, it definitely charges slower that way because it's charging through that smart connector, not directly. Have you found that if you're really working, I know you do some video stuff on the iPad as well, will it actually 
charge or does it just slowly lose power or does it kind of stay around the same if you're plugged into that magic keyboard USB-C port and you're doing some heavy lifting on the iPad? No, it's still going to charge. You're getting, I don't know all the numbers off the top of my head, but it looks like you are getting roughly like 22 watts of power versus 25 watts or 20 watts of power versus 25 watts going through the USB port on the side. So it's not that much slower, but it is slower. It's like if I really want to charge as fast as possible, I'm going to use the port on the side of the iPad. But for everyday usage, the one on there is going to be just fine. It's not really surprising that it's slower. I don't think it's too big of an issue. And again, all the videos and in your video, and we're going to link to all of Andrew's comparison videos right now uh, as we record the Magic Keyboard versus Bridge Pro Plus comparison video is up. And you have another one coming out today that's comparing it to... This is the Smart Keyboard Folio. So basically Apple's you know, the two first party solutions you have when trying to pick a keyboard accessory for your iPad Pro from Apple. You know, do you go with the smart keyboard folio? It's, you know, coming up on five years old at this point, or do you go for the new Magic Keyboard? Brand new and shiny, but a lot more expensive. Right. So you'll see that also by the time this podcast airs. But before we hear those comparisons to the Bridge Pro Plus, one other point of interest in all the videos and in yours, that new Magic Keyboard case looks super stiff as in like the hinge and where it bends to make the iPad float. So how does that actually feel Mm -hmm. kind of opening the case and then bending it back? I think it feels good. There's a nice amount of tension on it. And I I feel like it's a good amount of of stiffness because you don't want it to move too much. You don't want it to move, you know, while you're sitting there writing on it, it has to be able to hold up its weight and hold it there solidly without, you know, any movement. I was even sketching on this thing on the magic keyboard and I didn't feel like it was going to really go anywhere just because the way they kind of positioned that weight more towards the middle of the keyboard itself. I do maybe wish it could go back a little bit further, but it probably makes it a little bit more unstable the further that it leans back. How sturdy or how strong do those magnets feel actually holding the iPad to the magic keyboard case? They feel really good. Um, I've worried about it before with the, especially when I had the keyboard open on the smart keyboard folio, I would worry about it possibly slipping out depending on how I was holding it. But on the magic keyboard, I have no qualms at all. I'll move this thing around just fine. No problem. I don't feel like the the iPad is going anywhere. Okay. And how is it? I mean, I saw in some videos, people would literally just hold the iPad or just hold the case and it was staying on. Like there's no risk of it falling off, which compared to the old smart keyboard folio that I have for my 2018 iPad pro. Sometimes if I just you know, hold it funny or like move my hands funny. It'll just come detached. Yeah, that was a, I'll go into this in the video, but the part of the thing that drove me crazy with the smart keyboard folio is if you were trying to pick it up by the keyboard itself, you know, it would bend a little bit, which I feel like was definitely bad on those keys because then they could kind of, if something warped inside, they would think they're being pressed even though they're not and just like holding down like the command key or the F key for way too long or something random like that. And it did have that chance of that iPad coming loose. Whereas on the magic keyboard, it, there's metal plates in the bottom of that thing. It is not bending. It is not warping. Mm. They're physical scissor switch keys, so they're not going to just errantly be pressed. And the, the iPad itself is does not feel like it's moving anywhere. If you're holding it from the bottom of that thing, that iPad is just staying where it is. And how is it taking it on and off the Magic Keyboard case? Is that, I mean, doable? Is it tough? It's It's trivial. Yeah. It literally is just... Especially when you're holding it up, you know, there's the movement down, which is being prevented. But if you're pulling forward on it to remove it, it comes off 
very easily. And because it is hovering and only the top portion is essentially connected to the Magic Keyboard, it makes it really easy just to reach your hand behind, grip just the iPad, pull forward, and it, it comes free effortlessly. Okay. All right, so last question before we get to actual comparison. So the biggest feature on this new Magic Keyboard is the trackpad built in. And I know you had done some extensive videos on using like the external Magic trackpad Mm -hmm. with the iPad. So now that you have it built in, how does the overall feel different using it now? Built in trackpad, do you find the trackpad even more useful? Will you, you know, how do you prefer it? Do you actually prefer the trackpad and keyboard or do you still, you know, find navigating with a finger just as easy or better? What's your preference? It's almost a, it's almost like you're going into an entire new learning curve because we've been trained for how many years now that if you want to interact with your iPad, you touch the screen, which is how the iPad is designed. And even with the trackpad support, it's still designed, you know, kind of touch input first with the mouse or keyboard support secondary. And a lot of times I still do find myself like I'll be typing something and I'll need to switch apps and I'll just reach up to the screen and and move stuff around. So that feels natural to keep doing that. But at the same time, it is much less work and movement just to move my hand down two inches and use the trackpad for the same features. So I still find myself using the touchscreen for better or for worse. But I, I really like having the trackpad there. And compared to having an external one, I would almost never, when I had, was using the Magic Trackboard and the Magic Mouse 2, I would ne- it was really hard to train myself that when I needed to do something to get off of the keyboard, reach over to that external device to curse around or something, to select something, and then come back. At that point, it seemed like it was easier just to touch the screen. You're doing the same amount of you know hand movement. And for everyday tasks, it didn't make sense. It was just still easier to touch. But with the trackpad there, it is really convenient. And there are times, especially when text and video editing, mm-hmm. having that actual cursor support baked in is just really, really handy. And honestly, I just always love Apple's multi-touch gestures for switching between apps and everything. Four fingers uh, just across the trackpad, a quick swipe or three fingers across. I like that better than using you know command tab or something to, to jump between two. Okay, so let's get to a comparison. Again, there'll be links to all the videos that Andrew's putting out comparing it to the Bridge Pro Plus and Apple's previous smartfolio. But the video that's up right now I'm looking at is you compare it to the Bridge Pro Plus. Honestly, the keyboard and trackpad part looks very similar just from a visual standpoint, but then you have those two little hinges that, I don't know, I have not held one in my hand, the Bridge Pro Plus case, but those two little hinges seem a little precarious, but tell me, what's your feelings comparing these two? It is funny how similar they look. I was, you know, throwing around different ideas for the thumbnail, and I was like, every angle, (laughs) these look almost identical without getting really far away and, and setting up something wonky. So they do look really similar uh, when you're just looking at the keyboards, the biggest difference uh, physically is likely going to be the hinges, like you said. And oddly enough, there's a lot of people who really hate the bridge mm. hinges for whatever mm. reason. I see all these people complaining about how difficult it is to remove the iPad from them. And to be honest, I don't understand it because I've never had any issues. It's maybe mildly more difficult to slide them out versus just pulling off a magnet, but they stay on the iPad 
very well. They're super minimalistic. They just clip on the sides there. They got the silicone shims in there that holds everything in place. Mm-hmm. I use bridge keyboards for a long time. Me and my one of my friends were like original backers on their crowdfunding campaigns years ago. So like I've gone, I've yeah. run the gamut for these and this is the best one they've put out. The hardware is excellent. I love the look and feel of it. Uh, there are limitations between how it's talking to iPad OS that causes some of the negative aspects to it. But I don't have a problem with the hinges at all. Plus, it has a lot larger degree of motion compared to the Magic Keyboard. Pulled out a trusty little protractor, and it looks like the Magic Keyboard is roughly around 125 degrees when it's open, Mm -hmm. where the bridge can go entirely 180. So you can go completely flat with this thing if you needed to. Obviously, that's not a likely scenario, but you have a lot more range of motion past that 125 degree point. And I like it when you're sitting on your lap, because sometimes I like to have it really open. If I had like my legs up in the air, Mm. like I'm sitting with my feet up and I I need like a much larger degree of uh, opening on the screen. And you can't do that with the magic keyboard. So I do like that aspect of the bridge. And it does look like the magic keyboard case is significantly thinner on the iPad as opposed to the bridge one at least appearance-wise. Um, we do a little comparison in the video, and you can see for yourself, yeah. the bridge without the back panel right. is thinner. So just dep- you have that option, I guess, with the bridge. If you want back protection, it's a little bit thicker, but that back protection just comes off magnetically and just toss it aside and use it without that if you don't want it. So you have that option. If you take it off, it is thinner, and I believe it's a little bit lighter than the Magic Keyboard as well. Interesting. Yeah, I did hear that the Magic Keyboard in several of the videos people said it was seemed heavy, and that might actually be the biggest complaint. Did you find it actually that much different than the Folio keyboard case? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's heavier. I don't right, care. Yeah, it's yeah. not that much more weight. It's still thinness, I guess it would be my biggest concern. Right. And I right. think it is is fairly thin for what it is. And compared everyone's comparing it to a MacBook, but your MacBook you can't just rip off the keyboard when you don't want it. Right, exactly. You, you can't just <laughs> pull off your keyboard and sit there and read your your MacBook screen on the couch. You can't it's right. not a thing. So I don't mind that at all and I like the convertibility between the two. Yeah, and if you're comparing it to a MacBook Air then you also have to compare the power because honestly that right. Oh my gosh. We saw a huge difference in power. Yeah, exactly. So it's just different concessions. So again, you know, we talked about this, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, but you know, what should people buy if they have a thousand dollars versus $2,000? <laughs> a couple of the videos that I saw, you know, they were saying that now with the magic keyboard case, that maybe this is finally the laptop replacement or for some, if not most people, this is now the computer. What do you think as far as, but if someone does not have a Mac computer, we'll say at all, and they're looking to either get a MacBook Pro, even 13-inch, MacBook Air maybe, or this iPad Pro with the Magic Keyboard case. And again, price comparison is actually pretty similar now when you add that $300 or $350 Magic Keyboard case. You know, you're over $1,000 for either one, whether you're getting a Mac, mm-hmm. MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, or the iPad Pro with the Magic Keyboard case. What's your feeling now on that whole question? I mean, I think I, I think I was here last thing when we talked about this, and I still... It- if you're open to change and adaptability, I think the iPad is the way to go. You know, there are more things you can do on the Mac sometimes, but for a lot of people, they're not doing those your random things. I mean, even like our podcast right now and recording this call, it's much easier to do that here on my Mac than it would be to do right. on my iPad. So something like that works, it makes more sense on a Mac versus the iPad. But how many people are actually doing that or having multiple people on where they need to worry about those things? Right. For those kind of reasons, it still doesn't make as much sense. So I think the iPad is where it's at for a lot of people. Unfortunately, the Magic Keyboard is still quite expensive. 
the bridge is, is cheaper, but even though it has a lot of good aspects, it still doesn't completely integrate as smoothly within the OS. Yeah. Bridge launched under kind of the guise of that accessibility feature when they were in development through this early launch phase before Apple kind of blindsided them with this full support for trackpads and everything, which on some level is good with the bridge because it adds more functionality to it within the OS. But at the same time, it kind of threw a screwball at them because they were they weren't going like the straight route to just this is a Bluetooth mouse type thing. They were kind of showing up as a accessibility device over Bluetooth. And the negative result to that is especially with the trackpad, there's a mild amount of delay as you're moving around. Mm. Sometimes we see a little bit of a jump and when you're scrolling, like the iPad just like scrolls way too far past and just gives you a bunch of like white or black screen above and then jumps back to where it's supposed to be. So it's partially you know, Bridge maybe needs to look at how they they can do a firmware update to this device. So they need to, I'm sure they are looking at how they launch a firmware update to kind of make this work better with this new iPadOS 13.4 update. And iPadOS needs to update and deal better with those like over scrolling issues that seem to happen with random accessories like Bridge. It's not quite up to the level of experience that the Magic Keyboard is offering, but the Magic Keyboard is just, it's really, really good, but it's really, really expensive. But if you're going in expecting to spend $1,000 and you're debating between an iPad and a Mac, if you look at it that way, it doesn't seem as bad because you're not looking at, oh, I'm buying an iPad, I have to spend $300 on a keyboard or something. You're looking at, I'm going to spend $1,000 or so on a computer. Right. I'm either getting an iPad with Magic Keyboard or I'm getting a Mac. And if you're looking at a MacBook Air, iPad is much more capable. It's more powerful, at least. Um, and if you don't need to do anything, you know, really weird or, uh, you know, niche, then right. the iPad is absolutely, I think, a better way to go. It's convertible. It has so many apps and stuff growing with it. Yeah. It's got a lot more potential at this point with what Apple is kind of doing to it. Right. And I actually saw some rumors recently that Xcode, which we had on the side, I'll put that article in the show notes, but Xcode and maybe even Final Cut Pro might finally be coming to iPad. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see that in iPadOS 14, but that would be a welcome addition. And I would be really curious how Final Cut would function. Again, I edit podcasts in Ferrite on an iPad Pro. And if they really nail Final Cut Pro on iPad and really optimize it for the Apple Pencil and everything, I'd be very interested for that. Yeah, I might actually move some of the video editing I do on that as well. Well, thanks for that, Andrew. That's a great comparison. Check out all those videos again in the show notes and watch Apple Insider as those are coming out in the next couple of days. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Have you looked at your wireless bill lately? You're probably paying too much. It's 2020. Network coverage is better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So why pay more for the same service? That's where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile can cut your bill down to just 15 bucks a month for premium coverage. And I know what you're thinking, it might be too good to be true, but listen, these guys know what they're doing. I use Mint Mobile personally, and I use it all over. It gets great data speeds, super fast LTE, and there's unlimited talk and text nationwide in the USA. I love the Mint Mobile service and using it for my own plan. Old wireless bills are paying for those retail stores and overhead, and that's why Mint Mobile is reimagined how you buy wireless, and they make it all online, and they pass that savings directly to you. That's why Mint Mobile can cut your bill down to just 15 bucks a month. You can use the iPhone you already own or many other phones with Mint Mobile already. You can keep your phone number and port it to Mint Mobile or get a brand new number if you'd like. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. I also just personally think they have one of the coolest CEOs, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool himself, 
So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. So I wanted to touch on all these iPhone 12 leaks, images, the CAD designs, the video that came out. And so you had a great roundup article this past Wednesday, April 22nd, the everything known about the iPhone 12. Mm-hmm. And so just a few of the bullet points for listeners, if you haven't seen this yet, the redesign for the iPhone 12 Pro, maybe iPhone 12 and 12 Pro, Pro Max, again, all the names are just kind of assumed, you know, we don't know for sure, but the redesign will actually match the new iPad Pro designs, meaning it's a flat edged and square sided kind of device, kind of like the iPhone 5 and 5S, if you remember what that was like. Shifting to a 5 nanometer A14 bionic processor, uh, they think the notch might actually go shrink a little bit in width, and so you'll have a little more screen real estate with that being smaller. The addition of the LiDAR added to the rear camera to match the new iPad Pro. Supporting 5G data, which I actually saw AT&T recently announced that 5G is coming to Tampa, which is near me. So i actually be curious about that. Also may include the newest Wi-Fi standard. Now, you put an article Wi-Fi 802.11ay. I thought Wi-Fi switched to like the 678 number model. <laughs> Don't ask me how they're naming things anymore. Okay. Because <laughs> it was because obviously the last one was 802.11ax. But it was the marketing name, the public name was, you know, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6. 6. Yeah. Maybe they could be calling Wi-Fi, you know, the 802.11ay when it's actually released. Maybe they'll call it, you know, Wi-Fi 7 or okay. whatever they want to do. But that's going to be more for peer-to-peer, you know, device connections. You know, in your home, you're, if you're sending something to something else, like you can connect directly to that and bypass your network. So maybe they're just looking at it as a, you know, not a complete Wi-Fi replacement. I, I don't know. Right. We'll see what they do when it's actually certified later this year uh, and official. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. But for me personally, I would really love to go back to this kind of design. I really thought the, the iPhone 4 with square edges and even more so the iPhone 5 and 5S with that, I guess you call chamfered edge. But the square edges, of course, I always thought it looked great. Obviously, a smaller notch would be good as well, adding all the internals, 5G and and the new Wi-Fi. I'd be excited for this kind of redesign. I really wish, (laughs) I know it's probably not going to happen this year, but that they bring USB-C to the iPhone. I mean, my MacBook Pro has it, my iPad Pro has it, and the only holdouts are the iPhone and AirPods. (laughs) Those are the only two devices still uh, that I have to carry around lightning cables. And now it's, I have to have both lightning to USB-C and kind of lightning to normal USB, depending on what charger or mm-hmm. what's around and all that. And actually, I just uh, upgraded my wife to the iPhone 11. She was on an 8 Plus for a while. And we just got an iPhone 11 in the mail this past week, earlier this week. And I forgot that the iPhone 11 still comes with a 5-watt charger with USB-A to lightning. <laughs> Unlike the, if you get an 11 Pro or 11 Pro Max, it comes with the USB-C to lightning and it comes with the faster charger. So it just feels like the whole charging connectors and USB-C across Apple's just device lineup, looking from the MacBooks to the iPads to the iPhone is still a little bit of a mess. So again, probably won't happen this year, but I'm most looking forward to the day that it's USB-C everywhere. How do you feel about the upcoming 
iPhone 12. Well, this has been a kind of a crazy upgrade cycle for the iPhone. Everyone's been calling this like a super cycle this year because of the final, you know, finally adoption of Wi-Fi. We've got Quo saying that it's actually going to support the millimeter wave uh, with 5G as well as like the sub six. So we, it's there's a everyone's expecting to be a huge upgrade cycle this year. Then of course we have the global pandemic going on, which throws a lot of like question marks. Right. We have seen a ton of information about the iPhone this year. Everyone is really amped up about it. The rumor mill is just kicking out stuff seemingly every day. As I was producing that, I was literally having to go back and make adjustments because like new rumors were dropping as I was producing the video and writing the text. So it's been a whirlwind of stuff coming out, out about the new phone. Um, the reason that kind of spurred us on to, to cover it now was everything Apple Pro released a video based on CAD images that were from January of this year mm-hmm. that really revealed a lot of the exterior of the iPhone 12. It was like a 70% um, finished CAD drawing of the new iPhones, and he basically went through those and, and talked about everything that the exterior of the phone would be. We saw that we're like, okay, well, that's a lot of stuff about the phone. We need to, to what about everything else that we've you know, covered from this point on? So we took everything Apple Pro's content that he did and what the exterior is going to be, combined that with, you know, analyst notes and uh, rumor mill stuff and other leaks that we found from the past, you know, several months and combined everything into everything you need to know about the iPhone 12 right. and what you can expect. So it is a lot of stuff. If you go through the video or the text, there is like, 15 or so you know different sources that we point out for every single part of the phone that we're predicting so it's a lot of stuff going on with the iphone 12 i really like the design from what we've seen uh obviously everything apple pro is just making up you know renders there as far as what that's going to look like in physical form based on those cad images but the big things that i like to see are the reduced bezels i don't care as much about the notch because you still are left with those bunny ears up on the top and right you, you can't put any additional information like maybe you'll get a mild more like battery percentage will fit in there or something like (laughs) there's not a ton that can go up there like no so i don't care about the notch changing too much there when you connect to a vpn i mean maybe you'll see the vpn (laughs) symbol now in the top yeah i mean maybe like apps like halide had taken advantage of the bunny ears in the past by putting up you know metering and everything in there and the camera app those will be nice if there's a little bit more room there but the notch didn't really excite me that much. I just like the overall change of the design of the phone is going to look really nice, as well as how that A14 Bionic is going to push things even further. This thing is going to be just a beast of a phone. I hate to really rain on your parade, but I'm telling you, I it's not the phone <laughs> is not going to be USB-C ever. 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 This is okay. This ever. is what's going to happen. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. I've right. been talking about this for a year that I said they were going to do this. There's no point in switching to USB C now. Everything is moving towards essentially a wireless future to put USB C on here and make everyone switch their cables and then ditch them a year or two later doesn't make sense. And from what we've seen so far, it looks like 2021 is the year Apple is killing off that external port. It'll be gone. There's going to be no lightning or USB-C on your phone. But of course, you still will need a way to charge your phone. So it looks like based on some CAD images, everything Apple Pro was originally thinking that it was going to be for like an Apple Pencil or something. No, we called it out in our article. That's likely going to be for charging the phone itself. So they're hopefully going to put like a magnetic connector on the side of the phone to allow you to charge it with a cable in your hand, like while you're holding it, but otherwise use wireless for everything and reduce the need for that port at all. 
So I think they're going to get rid of all the ports of anything that's going to be that magnetic one on there that you can still use to charge wired when you need to. That's essentially another proprietary cable, but I think everyone's going to go wireless. That cable would be USB-C on the other end, if that makes any uh, difference to you. <laughs> it is now anyway. I mean, it's USB for, you know, yeah. if you get an 11 Pro. Yeah. But first of all, I cannot believe that there will be no physical port by 2021. I mean, I, I get that one day maybe, but here's my question then to you, especially for developers, developers who are developing iOS apps mm-hmm. and are connecting their phone to their Mac to run builds of their app. I find it hard to believe that Apple is going to have them deliver that stuff wirelessly or even through this magnetic connector, you know, just latency wise and, you know, time saving wise. I don't know. I I don't see that happening and I don't see the iPad losing its connector either. No, I can see iPad staying with a USB-C, but why would you not be able to deliver a build wirelessly for, uh, for developers. Well, you can, and you can charge wirelessly now. It's just the speed difference is so drastic. And I don't know, I didn't think speed for charging and or wireless transfer was going to improve that much over the next, to say that in 2021, there'll be no more physical ports. What about with a new Mac with a Wi-Fi AY on it? Direct connection, much faster sync speed. So if you're using a new phone and a new Mac, great experience but if you're using you know an older device they'll be able to plug it in and so do you think that the magnetic connector would also be i guess it can't really be for data it would just be for charging just charging. i think it would just be for charging i think everything else would be wireless it'd be crazy everyone will yell a lot about it just like the headphone jack so what kind of charger would they include in the box it would just be a brick and then a cable that has a wide magnetic connector on the other end yeah seems likely that seems plausible, at least. <sighs> I don't know, man. I mean, I see it. I see. I don't know. I see it in the CAD drawings and everything. I think that's the way they're going. They released the iPhone 12 this fall. It still has a lightning connector. What do they say that that charging magnetic thing on the side, mm-hmm. what is then that for this fall? According to John Prosser, he recently said based on his sources, that is not expected to be on the 2020 iPhone. They pushed that back until the 2021 where it'll go fully wireless. Is there any rumors or thoughts on like a Apple Pencil support coming to the phone? There's been mild support talking about it, but I don't think that's what this is for. What kind of stubby little pencil would that have to be? (laughs) It would be ridiculous. You'd be sticking it on the side. It would look the Samsung commercials could write themselves right. of just like hiding their note stylus in there. And then there you are with a weird pencil sticking off the side of your iPhone. Yes. It wouldn't work with cases. It would not make sense. It's not, no, no way right. will that be a thing. So this magnetic connector comes out and is for charging only. Then all cases now have to have this big hole in the side to, which I know it has a hole right now for the charging port, but I feel like that's a lot more discreet, massive hole in the side of the phone. And what, that would be opposite the, so they would move the volume buttons to the side with the sleep-wake button, and then this would be the only thing on the other side? Is that what the CAD drawing is showing? It looks like, I think, it, from what I remember, it's going on the same size as the power button. So your volume rocker and your sleep-wake button, or your, um, your mute switch stay on the one side. Power button, sleep-wake button stays on the other side. SIM card tray gets relocated to the opposite side, right. and that's where this new magnetic connector will live. 
I don't think it'll be that big of a deal because we're already doing it on the iPad Pro. Every iPad Pro case that comes out now has to have a little thin spot there. Well, they have to have a larger spot for the pencil in general. Right. But I think they'd be able to incorporate that in a way, whether it you know flaps open or something like that, or if it's just able to be thin. I mean, you're gonna have thin walled. You know, you right. can have thin wall side cases, and I don't know. I mean, I see the possibility. I also feel like I mean this. This is totally speculation, but the, <laughs> this is all speculation. This is all speculation. Yeah, to be to be clear, but I feel like that would just not match Apple's aesthetic to have this weird magnetic cable sticking out the side of a phone. You know, every charging port on any device, minus the MacBooks, it's always the bottom. You know, the iPads on the bottom, AirPods on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a weird Apple product image to have just this cable coming out the middle side of an iPhone. Well, I mean, to be fair, they probably wouldn't include that in marketing. Sure, for sure. They'd probably include it on a wireless charger. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, because I feel like if it was on the bottom, it would be too easy to to snap off. Imagine you're on the phone and it's like plugged in and it's on like a magnetic one's on the bottom. Like you just like move it a little bit and it, it'll, it would just pull it off the side. Yeah. Whereas if it was on the side of your phone in line with the phone itself, it's not going to come off that easily because you have to kind of pull it yeah. the opposite way. Right. You can't pull it down. You have to pull it to the side to get it to release. So it'd make more sense if you were, you know, charging it and holding it at the same time. Okay. So your theory, no port come 2021 what happens to AirPods? Do they just keep jamming on the lightning connector? Do they go wireless only? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think those will stick around for... They could get rid of the lightning port. I don't think it'll matter to them all that much. They could take that away with a new set of AirPods Pro down the line. Yeah. They've already got the wireless charging built in, but right. we'll have to see. The bigger question I have, honestly, is what to do with CarPlay. Uh, right. That's actually was my biggest question because obviously I use CarPlay all the time and I would love wireless. Well, more cars should have wireless CarPlay, but right now it's super limited. Right. I'm using this third-party tool that we, I wrote an article and video about it and it kind of blew up called CarPlay to Air. Go, go look it up on Apple Insider if you haven't already, but mm-hmm. it's a little adapter you can buy for your car works with pretty almost any car that has stock wired CarPlay. You plug this in and you connect to this instead and it gives you wireless CarPlay. And I love it. It is so much more seamless and I have a wireless charger in my car. That's the way that CarPlay should be. But people are not going to just buy a new car because they got a new iPhone. So can they just not use CarPlay now? So either they have to find some other way of doing data or Apple's going to have to come out with essentially a CarPlay adapter or something similar to CarPlay to Air to make it work wirelessly. I don't know how they're going to figure that out, but that would be my biggest question. You know, and if this does happen, a portless iPhone 2021, any dongle that someone has been using with it, say an SD card to get pictures onto their phone in the field or whatever, I mean, that all becomes... You either have to do it wirelessly, which is not usually a good experience, or just not at all, which, again, I don't know the amount of people using stuff like that, but I do know some, you know, especially like social media influencer style people, mm-hmm. you know, just putting photos and video content, importing it directly onto their iPhone. I'm happy moving things wirelessly. The only problem I have moving wirelessly is video. Um, I shoot on a Nikon Z7 and a Z6, and we've reviewed those for AI. They've got a great accompanying app, um, connects to them directly over Wi-Fi, and you can move full, you know, 40-some megapixel raw photos over to your iPhone without too much of a hassle. If I'm moving 200 of them, there's a bit of a delay. But if I'm just moving, I can preview everything and move over just the ones I want. Not a big deal at all. And then I can just connect it to my iPad over USB-C and do the bulk of my editing there if I need to. Okay, well, I will 
I'm going to counter your prediction with my own, and we'll see who's right a year from now. <laughs> I think there will be a USB-C iPhone before there is a no-port iPhone, even if it's only the iPhone Pro model, just like the iPad Pro is the iPad with USB-C. <laughs> I could see them doing iPhone 13 Pro USB-C, iPhone 13 non-Pro or whatever with this magnetic connector and wireless and say like you don't get any kind of connector. I don't know. I have no information on that. That is completely a wild guess, but that is, I'm just taking the counterpoint so we can say who's, who was right a year from now. But uh, I don't know. That's just my feeling on it. Magnetic connecting charger. We'll see. I don't know. I just feel like it's going to go wireless. There's no need yeah, for yeah. a port for most things. If I connect everything to my iPad, yeah. there are so few things that I connect to my iPhone, you know, maybe for video, plugging in a, a mic or things like that. But I can see ways around that you know, in the long term sure. when this is, you know, ready for prime time. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is the software that I and thousands of Apple Insider fans use every day to protect our data online. In the time since I started using ExpressVPN, hacking methods have grown even more sophisticated. I'm sure many of you are working from home these days. And when you're at a big company, you have an IT department to protect you from online threats. When you're at home, working at home, or maybe you freelance and work from different coffee shops, you're working in the airport, it's important that you take action to secure the devices you use for work and for your own personal use. That's why I recommend using ExpressVPN for the best online protection possible. And you've heard me talk about ExpressVPN many times. Not only is it one of the most trusted VPN services around, it is super fast and it is super secure. I use it on my iPhone, my iPad, and my Mac. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. You click one button on your computer or smartphone, and you're protected. So, my question is, why haven't you gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash appleinsider, and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the show. All right, well, lightning round, just the last couple of things. There's been a bunch of rumors swirling around about the ARM Max that might be coming soon. Again, a couple of months ago, it was that ARM Max will be out this year, 2020. Uh, but I think with all the coronavirus news and that, it might have been pushed back to 2021. But Apple is planning for it, and it could come early 2021. Uh, again, we've talked about it before, but I'm excited to see what Apple can do with an ARM Mac and all the battery life benefits, performance benefits, maybe even sharing the same chip from iPad Pro or a you know similar version to Mac. So curious about that, but it'll probably be waiting till 2021. I was going to mention something about that earlier, actually. Um, when it comes to the Pro apps, I wonder if that AR, the ARM transition is going to be also when they're going to bring those Pro apps over. Because mm. if they're rewriting them to take full advantage of, you know, an Apple series, an A-series chip, if that's a good time for them to essentially make that port over to the iPad at the same time for Xcode and Final Cut and the like. No, that's a good thought. And finally, you know, there was some news about Apple and Google's contact tracing. We talked about that on last week's episode. But actually, as we record, Thursday, April 23rd, Apple and Google actually announced that the API will be released early on April 28th, which is next Tuesday. 
Uh, so Tuesday, the API will be released to developers and they'll be able to uh, begin using it, developing apps for it. So did you download the coronavirus app on your iPhone? I think I ran through just to see what it was like. I ran through the web app version of it, which I th- I'm pretty sure is the exact same thing as the, the native one. I had one more thing too. We talked about the ARM, the ARM Max being pushed back to 2021. It looks like the that big high-end iPad Pro that was slated for the end of this year also possibly got pushed back to early 2020 as 2021 as well. Mm. Um, the one with the mini LED display, right. all that that seems to be pushed to 2021. A new rumor just launched about that a few days ago, I think. Right. So I know people who were holding out because they thought the you know this early 2020 iPad Pro wasn't a big refresh. They're going to wait for the one at the end of this year. Well, that looks to be next year, a year away or so from when this model was released. And that is the one that I will wait for. Because <laughs> also, so there were news. I don't know if we talked about it last week, but that the 2020 iPad Pro that just came out, it looks even more like the recycled A12X from the 2018 iPad Pro model. Again, the difference just being that one graphic core uh, that's activated. And I think it came out that there was actually no ultra wideband chip in the 2020 yep. iPad Pro model as well. So again, aside from the lidar scanner, very similar the iPad 2020 model to the iPad 2018 model. And again, that magic keyboard case that we talked about for a while at the beginning of this episode is compatible with both the 2018 iPad Pro and the new 2020 iPad Pro. So if you want to use that new magic keyboard, you do not have to buy a new iPad. You can just get it and put it in there. You'll just have a bigger blank cutout on your 2018 iPad Pro (laughs) because you don't have those extra cameras and LiDAR, Uh, but it is still usable. So you can get that there. I wrote this long conspiracy theory about how I think all this stuff happened to Apple kind of in the process of it. And this is not the iPad that they wanted to debut. I think they hit road bumps on the way with that mini LED production. And we don't have time to go into all that now. So if anyone cares, just go look it up because I think something happened. And there's definitely a lot more coming down the line as far as iPad Pros are concerned. Yeah. And uh, I'll just end with a quick anecdote. Uh, So, you know, here in America, there were some stimulus checks that went out. Uh, for relief. Um, and so I got a stimulus TV, as it were. Uh, anyway, I got a 4K TV <laughs> with part of that. Uh, but then also had to upgrade the Apple TV to the 4K model, uh, which I did. Of course. Looks great. Uh, works great. And I will say, just if you, if you do not, there's a rumor that a new Apple TV model is actually going to be coming out soon. I hope it's in my 30-day return window, if that is actually true. Uh, but so if you haven't got one, maybe wait until that new model comes out. But I will say, Apple TV... You know, there's the Apple TV Plus app that you can now get on some smart TVs and the uh, LG model TV that I got, I think you could do that as well. But it still stands that the experience navigating a smart TV app is still really bad. (laughs) So (laughs) such a better experience to actually have an Apple TV hooked up uh, rather than using those built in (laughs) apps. So just want to update everybody. uh, Still the case. Smart TVs, largely bad. By the way, though, uh, since we're talking TVs, Sony just shipped their 2020 uh, line of 4K and 8K TVs that support HomeKit and AirPlay 2. So that's right. Just yeah. released this week. And actually, the, the TV I got, I'll just let everybody know, it's a 60-inch LG 4K HDR TV. Not a super high-end TV, but it was on sale at Target for like 380 bucks. And it's like, well, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good deal. But it actually also is AirPlay and HomeKit enabled. And so the TV now shows up as an AirPlay device on the phone and all that kind of stuff. 
And because it's a 4K TV, my, I had to upgrade my receiver as well because my receiver was only 1080. And so I got a Yamaha receiver. I'll put links in show notes to the TV and receiver that I got. But the receiver also has AirPlay built in. Now, for better or for worse, <laughs> I have probably 12 devices that I can AirPlay to right. in any given moment from a Sonos speaker to a HomePod to my Yamaha receiver to the oh, TV yeah. itself. I like that you can turn off AirPlay 2 on the TV because I got so I got I just picked up actually the new Sony ones. They were just released this week and I already picked one up for review. The review will probably go live this weekend. But you can turn off the AirPlay 2 portion and just use it for the HomeKit stuff, being able to, you know, automate it, turn it off when you leave the house, stuff like that. Just make sure you save energy. Don't leave anything on. Okay. And of course, it has Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. So this thing has really good sound. Yeah. Really nice HDR, HomeKit stuff. Cool TV. Well, I will definitely be doing that because it's too many it's too many AirPlay devices. There's no need when you got your Apple TV there. Why bother with the TV at all? It just confuses things. Yeah, same thing with the receiver. Like I really don't I'm never probably ever going to AirPlay to the receiver directly. No. Anyway, and this sounds like a crazy feature ask, but now I'm hoping maybe that in those AirPlay device listings when you choose your thing maybe folders to kind of <laughs> group some of those devices i don't know that sounds crazy but it is just kind of a ridiculous list now of all those devices but uh, glad it's there glad it's there because if you don't have an airplay device you could have it just built in right to the tv and it is a pretty cool feature so for what it's worth yeah send me a link to that uh, sony tv and uh, i'll yeah. like to put that in the show notes too you want to go off on a random tangent when we're trying to wrap up the show again oh yeah please let's go <laughs> Oh, did you have another tangent? No, no, oh, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I was just joking after yeah, that yeah. whole thing. I was just, I mean. Really quick anecdote. I mean. Then we add 10 more minutes to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the home theater stuff, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. Oh, for sure. Hence the reason I bought a TV like the second that they were announced. <laughs> I've been waiting for those Sonys. Got a Sony in the living room and it was fantastic. The best home kit implementation I've seen. Not to smack talk any other manufacturers, but my Vizio TV, its home, home kit implementation was terrible. Yeah. It was never responding. I could, the TV kept freezing up randomly while we were watching things which isn't even a home kit issue just a you bought a vizio and not a higher-end tv issue right. yeah i stuck with these sony's again and it's it's an excellent set yeah and let me say like the settings i don't know how the sony's are it's probably better but on this cheaper lg tv the settings are just incorrigible like it's so annoying the smooth motion it has like five different smooth motion type settings there's like smooth <laughs> motion there's like pixel blending there's mpeg 4 something there's like a ridiculous amount of settings and come to find out you have to set those settings on each input oh boy even when i did it and i there's an apply to all inputs option i did that but then when i switched over to a smart tv app it did not save those settings i guess because it's not an input it's, it's not an input because it's just oh, a tv gosh. and i'm like this is insane and to be fair i'm sure the sony tvs are of a better quality i did notice some light leakage on the lg model Mm-hmm. from a couple of the corners and you really only notice if you're watching like an hdr movie in a dark room yeah you know and it's certain scenes you notice it not a huge deal again i can't, you can't complain it's like a 380 dollar 60 inch 4k tv yeah and the, the one that i picked up was only the 600 dollar one so it was the entry level model because i didn't need anything that fancy but i still appreciated you know 4k with dolby vision and all that and its biggest thing which is just similar there is no local dimming and the, the the contrast ratio just isn't the best. Right. So in a dark room, you're going to notice your blacks are looking a little more towards like a dark gray. Yeah. Rather, um, there's I don't really see any like light leakage too much, but <clears throat> it's the difference between that contrast ratio and a you know higher end set. Overall, and overall, it does look great. Like we watched a couple 
uh, 4K HDR movies. Disney Plus has like a lot of their Marvel stuff is 4K mm-hmm. HDR, and so it's very cool. Oh, and one okay, one sorry, one last piece of information. Okay, it's, one not, other one. it's not a tangent. I don't know if you've heard of the services called like VidAngel and ClearPlay. These are like streaming services that can filter movies and you can like filter out curse words. You can filter out violence, filter out nudity. This so if you're watching with kids, they're helpful services for that. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of movies available on these services and ClearPlay only works in Google Chrome. So you kind of have to mirror your Mac display to get that mm-hmm. to work. At VidAngel, the app is super janky and its selection is pretty limited. But I noticed that Disney Plus is actually giving certain movies a family-friendly audio track that it is basically filtering its own movies on the service. And so the one example that I saw tweeted this week is if you go to Avatar and you go to the Avatar movie in Disney Plus and you go to the extras menu, there's actually an option to play the entire movie with a family-friendly audio track that removes all the profanity. Huh. I have not found many other movies to have this feature, but I think it's super interesting that they did it for Avatar, and I'm really curious if they'll start expanding that ability to more of their movies on the service. I just thought it was extremely cool. And then you actually get the full quality... Yeah. You know, 4K movie directly from the service. You're not having to go through this weird proxy uh, through this third party. And so uh, very cool. Check it out if you have Disney's Plus. It's it's available for Avatar. And if you see it available for other movies, I'd love to hear about that too. They've been getting a lot of flack on, on social media because I saw they edited a few other movies. Um, one movie where you randomly saw from a distance a woman's butt, they like moved her hair down, like added special effects to lengthen her hair to cover her butt, which looked very weird. Yeah. Um, and then in Lilo and Stitch, I believe it might've just been in the UK, but they, he hid in an oven. They changed into, or they, or no, he hid in like a, a washing machine or something. I can't remember. They changed it to like a pizza box and an end table. Wow. Because they were worried that kids were going to start like hiding in appliances. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they're like almost going too far with the G rate of stuff, but I'm not a parent, so I don't know. I mean, I think, <laughs> I don't think they should, make the main movie that you play like weirdly edited and censored. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to have that option in the extras section for these movies, I think that's really cool. And so, yeah, be curious if they expand that feature. All right. No more tangents. That is it. (laughs) That is it. (laughs) Listeners, let us know what you think. We'd love to have you comment on the post for the podcast as it goes, goes up. A tweet at Andrew or myself on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback and love to interact with you on there. And let us know if there's any questions you have about any Apple products, questions, comments, you need some tips or strategies, let us know. Tweet at us. We'd love to help you out and comment on the show about it. And if you haven't yet, give us a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out, and we appreciate that as well. Catch you next time. Catch you next time.